Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. In 1992, Radiohead released their stunning debut single, Creep. It was quiet yet explosive, even haunting, and its refrain had a powerful hook. I wish I was special. Radiohead's frontman and principal songwriter Tom York is my guest. And if it was his wish to be special, the world granted it. York's band has become a commercial and critical success, selling over 30 million albums. Radiohead's music actively resists definition. Each new album explores a different sound, delighting their followers and scooping up more fans along the way. The New York Times called Radiohead Rock's most experimental top 10 band. And this spirit of experimentation isn't limited to their music. In 2007, York and his bandmates released In Rainbows on their website first. Fans were invited to pay what they wanted for the album. Radiohead may not have been the first to thumb its nose at the music industrial complex, but they might be the first to do so and sell out a major arena. That said, Tom York hasn't necessarily been comfortable under the spotlight. He complains about celebrity worship, and I wasn't sure what to expect. Actually, I got you a health food snack. Did you? Yeah, because someone oh told God. me you were like all vegetarian and that. Tom York has a new record out, Amok. The band calls themselves Atoms for Peace. You don't do a lot of press. 
Um, Were you doing it on an, on an as-needed basis? <laughs> yeah, on a need-to-know <laughs> basis. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. I kind of need to explain what I'm doing a bit with the Adams for Peace thing, just a little bit, because it's something different and some vague effort to explain myself occasionally, I think, is uh, morally acceptable. Tell us about the Adams for Peace. Uh, well, project. it's just it. It was. I did a record on my own called The Eraser a few years ago. Was that your first solo record? Yes, first time I sort of worked on my own with Nigel, who normally produces Radiohead, and it came out. It was okay. Uh, people liked it a bit. A couple of years after, I suddenly thought I really want to actually because it was all done. It was all programmed. It was all computers and stuff. And I thought, actually, I really, I'm curious to know what it would be like to actually get a band together to play this. And it was an excuse to go on a jolly to L.A. and hang out. And I emailed friends of mine who I knew liked the record. Um, one was Flea from the Chili Peppers. One was um, my friend Joey, who's drummed with everybody, who's this genius drummer from L.A. And anyway, we got it together, and it turned into this thing. It became really exciting, and we ended up, calling the band Atoms for Peace and making a record out of the excitement of, of that. And it was all brand new to me because I'd been in the same band since I was 17, 16. And, and when you do that, when you go into another room with people, it's not so much I'm assuming, and you can help me, that you want to not play with those guys anymore. You just want to play with different people for a change. It was a yeah. It was a totally different process. I mean, it's it's always fun if you know what you're aiming at. If you know what the tunes are, you're not trying to write them. You're just emulating what's already been written. That makes it fun straight away because it's a different sort of creative process. You're How so? To, um, you're not struggling around in the dark for a way into a piece of music. You're figuring out how to strip it down to its raw essentials, especially if it's something's been written on a computer and then you have to humanly learn how to play it. It brings in this quite interesting thing with the feel of what you're playing. Anyway, it's loads of different things, but it's a lot more fun and a lot more relaxed if you're not trying to write, you know, which is what also all, all the time what we're trying to do with Radiohead. What's the first time or first experience you had with using computers to create music? That was, uh, I think, after we did OK Computer, I finally, in the late, late 90s, you could like go on tour with a laptop, and it was powerful enough that you could record, edit, use synthesizers built into it, and it wouldn't crash, and it was fairly stable. So I first started getting into it then. And what I thought was really interesting is when we were working on OK Computer, I started using learning the software that we were using in the studio to edit. We were still mostly working on tape, old school. But um, I suddenly thought, well, hang on a minute. If I can learn how all this equipment works, I'll have a completely different way of thinking about how to write. So I forced myself to learn all, all, this, uh, all this equipment um, and learn to use the laptop because a lot of music I was into was being made electronically anyway. And I kind of thought it would be interesting to do it within the band because, you know, a band normally, musicians don't fall into doing the production side of it or building the tracks. They'll, like, stay this side of the studio fence with the mics and let someone tell them what Front they of do. the house, back of the yeah. house, kind of. So I definitely was much more into blurring that up. Did Nigel produce both your solo albums? Yeah, he does, he does the lot. And he, he, did, and he did all of the Radiohead albums? Yeah, he does. Wait, what all. do you attribute that to, having that kind of faith in someone... Um, for me, it's sort of, um, 
you find someone you trust, I mean, not all the time, and I, we do argue a lot, <laughs> um, but to have someone who's like um, a sounding board all the time, it makes everything so much more fun. Because if you're, if you're knocking out ideas, you can't edit them and knock them out at the same time. Like if you're on a stage and you're trying to get through your part or whatever, you have to have someone out front saying, okay, that's not working. Exactly. I mean, I do uh, on my own a lot. I do work, you know, you generate ideas, but all I then have is a mountain of ideas that gradually I then have to sift through, and it just takes so long. It's so much more fun sharing it with someone. And what did he think about your forays into computerized music? Oh, he was into it. I, I did wonder when I first started doing it, but he was into it because he watched me doing it I mean, in such a different way to him. I mean, I was like um, a kid being given a hammer. I was just hammering away on stuff. I didn't really know what I was doing. But he was kind of fascinated by that, you know, and he'd come and literally tidy up the mess <laughs> I'd done on the computer. Right. What were other people? Who were other people that were working in that in that area that you listened to? Who then, else was making? Well, yeah, I mean, then, then and now. Well, then it was, I was obsessed with Aphex Twin then. And Otecra, there was a lot of really interesting things happening in Britain then on this label called Warp and it was it was how funny. do you spell that? Warp as in the warp Warp W-A-R-P warp. like the floor is warped yeah after the fun yeah and I say with your accent that could have been any one of four words when I said <laughs> on this label called Warp Warp another walk warm warp warp wall warp 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 yeah, say it like we say it here in the United States. Warp. You know, warp. warp. It's warp It's a country and western record label. You bet your bottom dollar there, boy. Yeah. So you, 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 were, you were obsessed with the music that was on warp. Warp records. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it didn't have any guitars. And uh, I was having a troubled relationship with my guitar at the time. Is that true? <laughs> well, not really. It's just like I ended up being in a band, signing this to this big record label. And it's a band with big letters, so certain things go with that. But yet, when I was at college, I was listening to a lot of other things. And, and after a while, it was like, oh, this is it's really annoying that... I felt like we couldn't break out of that, so I just started forcing us to break out of that because it didn't make sense to me. You've been with those guys for how long now? We started when we were 16, mm -hmm. Radiohead, which is um, now I'm 44, so that's quite a while. And some bands that have had a tremendous longevity, obviously the Rolling Stones are the premier example, yeah. uh, they've changed partners over the years like they were the New York Yankees. You know, there's somebody else playing third base every four or five years. Yeah. And, and But you guys, it's the same cast of, of people all the time. Well, what do you attribute that to? I, persistence. My great diplomatic skills. Not. <laughs> <laughs> but there must be times when they've... I mean, I'll never forget McCartney said to me, even the Beatles got tired of being the Beatles. Were the times you guys sat there and looked at each other and said, I think we're done? Uh, I, do, I do that frequently. Right. Frequently. I mean, at least... The others too? Not as much. Right. <laughs> they just wait for me to do it. Right. Um, but it changes... They wait for you. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah, it's like, just stick around. I'm, Tom will quit for I'm, us. I'm feeling it's coming up. I mean, you know, something to do with the fact we haven't done anything useful for three weeks. It goes through these phases, you know. We've grown up together. It's weird. I mean, um, so we just did a tour last year, right? And it was probably, in theory, the scariest one we've ever done because it was lots of big gigs, which I normally am spending my time trying to shy away from. Why? Because you can't achieve technically in a large space what you normally want to? Exactly that. You can't get across to people the right way, I felt. 
So we did spend a lot of time and effort coming up with like a stage design which used screens in a certain way which made it intimate even though, you know, some nights there was like 30 or 40,000 people right. trying to create some sort of intimacy with that. And when it worked, it was insane. It was because the upside of playing to that many people is you have this really crazy collective energy that you can tap into, like a crowd, you know, thing. There's one show we did in Phoenix that sticks in my mind where there was something about maybe that it was in Phoenix and, and people don't get the opportunity, those sort of people don't get the opportunity to get together that often or something. There was some sort of excitement within the crowd that was so great to play with. When when we hit it musically, it felt like the whole room, the whole of the building was moving. Honestly, we both came off stage. I understand. You know? Yeah, I understand. That th- and it's bonkers. I, I understand that not from my own experience, but from seeing artists perform you know i often ask myself why the hell would would you put yourself through this because it's very stressful it's a lot of pressure and for me mentally i have to i build myself up to it in my head gradually and and it sounds really precious but it messes with my head i want to get to that Mm. but i want to come around it and say your music has such a spiritual quality to it. There's a spiritual element to it, and not a stated mm. one. Mm. It, it just emanates a vibe to me. That's a very, it comes, a very it, but to me, it, that, that, yeah, but to me that comes off the audience. That's what I find. It's something that's developed. It's not like we're not going into this intending to, to do any of that. It just sort of happens when, when the waves go right, you know, when the waves fall into place, then you'll get to the end of the song and you can feel, okay, we've done whatever it is, that was it. What's your preparation before you do a live show? Before you, because in the studio, it's obviously a, a whole different animal, correct? Yeah, there's no preparation for the studio. You, you know, it's bull in a china shop most of the time, which is how it should be, I think. And performing live, yeah, that's what, what's give it to me the, a couple of hours before you go out there, and you got to blow this thing out for all these people. I just um, stone cold silence. Basically, almost meditative. Well, yeah, I do. I do that and focused. I stand on my head for a bit, and I'm basically I'm completely on my own until five minutes before we go on, and then we're all in a room together, pacing up and down like <laughs> wild animals, and then yeah. then we're on. But when we first started doing big shows, it was with my friend Michael Stipe, and he does the total opposite. He literally. He'll be talking to you, and then someone taps in on the shoulder, and then they're on. And I was like, how the hell do you do that, man? And I, and I tried to do it like that. Couldn't do it. And right. so I, I ended up going... Did he say, did you, did you get any indication why Stipe could do that? Um, there's a lot of nice spiritual tones inside of R.E.M.'s music, too. Yeah, no, I don't know. I think what he used to do was he'd stand there for the first two tunes, barely move. He was a sort of lightning conductor and he was just waiting for it to hit. And then when it hit, it was off. But he would wait. And if it wasn't going to hit, he was still there three or four tunes later and waiting. He kind of warmed up in front of everybody, Mm -hmm. gauging it all. Whereas I can't do that because I have to sort of be clear of everything before I, you know, whatever I I need to um, 
be completely empty. I started playing guitar when I was seven. I sat down and said I was going to be Brian May. And I was like, oh, not a bad thing to be. Yeah. And then I tried to do, I read, like when I was 10 or something, I, I read that um, he'd built his first guitar himself, which is the one he still plays. So I tried to do that, but my efforts were. <laughs> So in that trend. sense, you were not Brian May. No, in that sense, In the handcrafting no. of the guitar. And I had to cheat with the neck on the guitar. I found an old... Someone, a neighbor, gave me a neck of an electric guitar. I thought, great, okay, that's good. But, you know, I, I was 10 or 11, so I was trying to, like, bolt it together to this other piece of wood that I'd cut out, and it was just a disaster. But it kind of worked, but it was ugly. Was your family musical? Um, not really, no. The only one that sticks out is apparently my great-grandmother. She'd get really hammered and then stay up playing her pump organ thing downstairs all night and keep the family up. That's were it. you around? Did you witness that? I met her once and she was kind of... She wore black and was quite scary <laughs> when I was really tiny. But neither of your parents were artists, musicians? No, 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 no. When the guitar came into your life when you're seven, uh, Brian May or no, was it music itself and were you moved by music itself or was it like many people when they're very young, was it rock stardom? Was no. Like, never that. No. It was, it was... You weren't running around your bedroom imitating Jagger and you thought like you wanted no, to be I a rock icon. No, I just thought my whole thing was we didn't have any sound system in the house. We had nothing, no hi-fi, nothing except for in my dad's car um, and it had a tape player in it so I went and would sit for hours I would sit for hours and you know it was the sound of Brian May's guitar actually it was, it was one of those funny things where you know when you you turn something up and you're in a very controlled loud environment and just that sound was just you know nothing else it was that when you're that small and you've never I've never really heard music particularly at all up until that point you know it's funny it's got a weird thing but I mean lots of kids of that age did, you know their parents didn't really have hi-fis or mm -hmm. anything as such the only guy I did know who had a hi-fi down the road only played ABBA which I thought was worse than not having one but that was me some ABBA's <laughs> good <laughs> Yeah. And then and then, the guitar, and you're trying to fashion your own guitar by the time you're 11, and then when do you take another step toward deepening your commitment? How old were you when you formed the band? 16. I did have a band when I was 11, but... Um, What's an 11-year-old band sound like? Uh, Don't say ABBA. Yeah, no, it, not very good at all. Um, but it was, it was very exciting, like, um, going around to a friend's house and setting up and jamming, and all our mates would come and hang out and girls, which I thought, hmm, this is interesting. Yes. Uh, as puberty hit. But uh, that sort of fell to bits because I kept fighting with the drummer. And then when I was 16, I was thinking, well, okay, I need to get this together, really, and just went around the school sort of choosing people. So you went around picking people I, and what I, happened? I got Ed because he was dressed like um, Morrissey and he had some cool socks. And I saw he'd had a guitar. I had no idea whether he could play it or not. I didn't really care. I got Colin because I knew Colin could play very well and I needed a bass player who could play very well. 
but he had never played bass before. And his brother Johnny was this mythical musical prodigy, so roped him in. And then uh, Phil was the only drummer we knew anyway. So and Andy had a house down the road that we could rehearse in. And you're all in, and you lived where? You grew up where? Well, this was at Abingdon School near Oxford. And and then when you form Radiohead when you're 16, basically, yeah, we started sort of writing, doing demos, and messing about. And it was, you know, it was quite interesting straight away that it was quite. Uh, I think because Phil had quite a lot of experience. He was a bit older, and he'd had his own band, so he knew how to put things together a bit and in fact we used to go and do demos in his sister's bedroom like right from the beginning which which was great I mean there's nothing better than like just starting off by just trying to write demos from scratch even though you can't really play even though you don't know each other that's where you start you know it's kind of a nice way to figure out what, where you're about what do you think you do best you uh, lead a band Mm, you uh, well, uh, the, you you play guitar. Mm. You write music. You produce music. You do the, and you sing. What do you think your greatest strength is? If you had to pick one, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. I like the fact that I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I think. Well, no, honestly, I can't. I, I go. I'll go through whole phases of um, months where I haven't got a clue. I regularly lose complete confidence in in what I'm doing. Why do you think that is? Because um, I have the same condition. Why? Partly because I think I don't quite understand how it happens right. um, after the fact. When when what happens? When the appreciation comes to you? No, when you're when you're piecing something together, Got it. right? right. Um, things will fall into place. How you make it? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, the nicest bit about the creative thing, the nicest bit about recording and writing is this sort of weird limbo where you in between scratching away scratching away nothing really happening nothing really happening and then something wants to be built and starts to get built you just have to let it happen and then it gets to the end and you and you look at it a few months later and go huh how did that happen this sort of weird amnesia that goes with it something will happen one little sound goes off or, and you go oh that's really nice for me uh when I was at school, I didn't get on with the school system at all. Um, I see it in my son, the same, that sort of, the mechanics of how a school operates and how you're supposed to blend in or whatever. So I hid in the music stroke art department and had a great time there and discovered that actually that's what I wanted to do straight away. The heads of both schools just saw what I was up to. Is this the teacher that you often credit with your... Yeah. What was the teacher's name? Terry James. But but it was him and uh, my art teacher as well, actually. It was like someone sort of takes you under their wing and they say, well, you know what? You're actually quite good at Mentoring this. Mentoring is a very critical thing in this business. Yeah, because it's, en- it's enough. At that age, it's enough to just get a little push and then, oh, okay... Or does someone push you in a different direction? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, that would be bad. So, yeah, no, how about you go to the other I think department? you need to Engineering be a lawyer. Your, yeah, right. I th- I th- my father used to think I used to go into advertising, which is like... <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I'd really be good at that, but selling you know, other people's what, shit. Well, one thing you're good at 
is avoiding my original question, oh. which was, what do you think you're best at? Oh, damn. And let's I try to I choose if you can. If you, may, if you don't mind, on. confine yourself to the <laughs> list I provided. Uh, what do you think you're best at? Okay. This is multiple choice. Guitar, band kind of, uh, you know, paternal figure, songwriting, producing, singing. Mm. I guess singing. Okay, I'm glad you chose that one. I, I was driving. <laughs> I was trying. I think when I popped the word "singing" the way I did, I was singing. trying to say right. or singing. <laughs> what was singing to you? How did your singing evolve? Where you arrived at where you are now? Where most people say you have one of the most uh, evocative singing voices in all of music today. Either that or melancholy to the point of well, people who love who love Radiohead, yeah, okay, yeah. they they crave their music and they crave particularly your singing. Mm. Well, basically, uh, I went to music, uh, went to a few singing lessons, but that was basically just so I could literally breathe right. You know, mm. um, my favorite singers like Bjork. When I watched Bjork sing. Um, I've been lucky enough to sort of sing with her and watch her do it. And I was going to say, you're one of the few people who can use that phrase, when I watch Bjork sing. Yeah. Most of us say, well, when I listen to Bjork sing. <laughs> and um, it's uh, in here, it's right here. They say, you know, with, with, with um, in yoga and stuff, that whatever it is, I can't remember that, that spot at the top of the forehead, that you really... Most singers, like Neil Young's the same, he sings into this spot in his head and and what he's singing, he's already heard. Do you know what I mean? He's hearing it come out. The same with, with Bjork, when she's singing, she's singing what she's hearing. So there's no force, it's a force in itself. It took me a while to get that you know, even when we were on tour with REM back um, when we were doing the Benz in 96 or whatever, it was st- I was still trying to figure it out then. Watching Michael and wanting to sound like Michael, but I couldn't, you know, because my voice is in a different tone completely and so on. But what I did learn, what, you know, watching him was again that thing of like watching someone who their voice is in sort of command of them rather than the other way around. There's a state you know. that they enter almost. Yeah, and but it's very natural, but it takes a long time for that to become natural, I think. Like any singer, it takes a long time to find that thing, and it keeps changing. To me, how I sing now, or to me it feels different to a few years ago. Why? It just does. It just does. Age have anything to do with it? Well, yeah. There's probably some physical element to it, but but also just where you're at, you know. Because singing is nothing but like probably like acting. Singing is nothing but being in the moment. That's it. And where you're at. Yeah. When you do like, um, when I used to be like, you know, when when you're trying to do singing or whatever, chunrical. I remember sort of, okay, computer. I still had this thing like, well, I need to be a little bit half cut when I'm, you know. I need to do something or other beforehand so that I'm in the right space, man. Where it's all bollocks, because basically you've just got to learn to be there with it when you do it. You're not trying to prove anything. You're not trying to get anywhere. You're not trying to 
achieve anything. You're not trying to get this emotion across. You're not in this space trying to get this space across. You're not trying to get this mindset across or anything. You're just letting it happen. now when you live inside your life now whether you're performing live or you're producing and recording music do you feel different now that you're older i mean the chasm between when you're 16 and when you're 43 is extraordinary <laughs> isn't it just it's just mind-bending yeah do you ever feel like you're sick of it and you want to be done with it yeah you do sometimes but not it's never really the music it's always everything else you know primarily what well just stresses of life Whatever, you know, some things... So your life is not like... I mean, a lot of people think... They think that successful artists... Uh, uh, you know, just, well, they just walk across this bed of rose petals all day. Mm -hmm. The greatest torment of our life is, do we go to Paris on spring break or Anguilla? <laughs> <laughs> My God, I can't, I can't answer I know. the question. Uh, well, it is a problem. It is a problem. Yeah, but, but it's not... <laughs> <laughs> you weren't supposed to say that. No, but what I'm saying is is that they think that, like, do you ever sit there, you're very active socially, yes? <laughs> I guess, you yeah. Care. You care. You've made some comments about world affairs. Oh, you I care see, about yes. the world. Yeah, you care yeah. about what's going on. If I said to you that I snap my fingers and you go back to having a very normal life and you're not you at all with everything that goes with it, mm -hmm. and the rest of the world is elevated, mm -hmm. and the rest of the world gets better, things oh. you care about. Think of an issue you oh, care I see. about. Oh. And I say to you, Tom York... Tom York, Tom York. You go back, and the world gets better. Would you make that change? Define better. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky question, but you do. It's, yeah, it's not an either or, but you do care about other things. Is there an issue that you are embracing now? Is there something you're involved with now? Or is it an ongoing one? I, well, in my slack-assed fashion, I was helping um, Greenpeace do this thing which was trying to stop drilling in the Arctic. But it sounds like it's kind of working because the company seem to be pulling out because they can't... Shell just pulled out. Yeah, that's right. I don't think that's entirely down to us, but I think it definitely helped that we're making their life extremely difficult everywhere they turn. But the challenge now is to turn the Arctic into reserve so it can't happen. Mm -hmm. Because what that was going to do is create this gold rush, you know, oil rush um, up there, which was just going to be insane. And this at the same time where the, the ice is melting, basically they only started considering it was a possibility because the ice was melting they thought okay great maybe we got a better chance of drilling mm -hmm. which is like that's takes, a global takes warming irony to, to a, the global warming doesn't mean level. less oil to them it means more oil <laughs> yeah so um i was kind of stuck in that for a while because yeah the, the to me the irony of it was too much um i don't know where i'll go next i don't i find it very stressful i did get involved a few years ago we did this thing in britain the first climate change act which meant the government was is committed to reducing CO2 emissions 2050 by 90%. And now lots of countries have got it, but it was the first one. And the government didn't want to do it, Blair didn't want to do it, but we found this interesting loophole and got thousands of people to send letters in and said at the bottom of the letter to the, uh, the MP, please can you pass this on to Blair, right? And apparently 
they were obliged to pass on these letters. So Blair was literally getting thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of letters, which doesn't normally happen. And he did pass the law after much arguing and me refusing to meet him because it was during the Iraq War and all sorts of... Which you were very critical of. Yeah, well, any normal human being would be. I agree. Anyway... I was very glad I did it, and the people I was working for at the time, I was it was with Friends of the Earth, and it was really inspiring, and I became really good friends with the guy who was running Friends of the Earth at the time, Tony Juniper, who now works with Prince Charles, um, and um, and it was a great period, but I just it burnt me out, getting that close to politics. The most fascinating figure that we work with was the lobbyist that we had, our one lobbyist. So, like, we went into this Portcullis House in Britain. You probably have the equivalent here. I don't know what it's called. But Portcullis House was built for the lobbyists. It was built for special interests to go and sit with a cup of coffee, round table about this size, and wait for MPs to go past, collar them, sit them down, and lobby them in big we capital We call that the Congress here. Okay, yeah, right, we call okay. that the Capitol building. <laughs> anyway, I found it completely fascinating, you know, because there's hundreds of these people walking around, and I'm like, none of them are lobbying for us, except when you maybe possibly could argue that our one mate for Friends of the Earth was like, technically, you know, maybe speaking for the people a little bit, but basically, they were all special interest. And they had the ear of government. And I just thought, hang on, <laughs> hang on a minute. How did this happen? Anyway, where were we a minute ago? I know where I want to go. Okay, go on then, go there then. Your children. Oh, no, no, that's too much of a jump. Hang on, where we? let's finish with this first. Uh, no, all right then. <laughs> your children. I'm lost now. Do your children know who you are and what you do? Um, uh, yep, they're used to it. They're used to people coming up and saying hello. But most of the time it's very friendly and... That's normal. That's their normal. That's what they've grown up with. And how old are they? Um, 12 and 7. So one seven, the age that you decided you wanted to yeah. be Brian May. Mm. And the other <laughs> one's 12. And by then, he's, uh, he, he would already have made his guitar with that neck. That was 11, I think you said. So the other kids, yeah. really, where are they at musically? Um, my son is a great drummer, but I don't know if you'll want to do that forever or not. He's like not bothered really, which is cool. You know, he just... And he comes and hangs out with me when I'm working in my studio. We just hang out, you know, we're friends. Um, but I don't think, you know, there, there's no burning ambition to be uh, musicians or anything, really, even though he's really good. He's for pleasure. I mean, at that age, that's good, right? Has fatherhood affected your work? Um, yes, but not really... The, you have the obvious things where you... Would you go out on the road more if you didn't have children? Yep. Yeah, some people Absolutely. Talk about that. Yeah. But that's not necessarily a bad thing at all. You know, being on the road is is it's a it's not a great way to live your life. Evil. It's, just, it's it's you don't want to do it all your life. You get a little bit un, gets a little unhealthy quite quickly. Mentally, if not physically. Has it been difficult for you mentally? Uh it can be difficult. I mean it's 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 wicked fun bit too much it's either wicked fun or really awful like when you're sick then it gets really it's a real bummer man have to get out there yeah to, to try to sing your way through the notes that you can't find because you're so sick or whatever that's really super stressful but you know it is a massive buzz there's no denying it it's great it's 
Tom York is the first to admit that it takes work to keep it fun in the studio and on tour. It's very difficult to play with people you don't, if there's problems between you, for example. If the issues come up, I mean, I'm very much, I'm a Libran and I need to sort shit out. I can't have stuff hanging around, you know, because it gets in the way. More in a minute with Tom York. This is Alec Baldwin and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Given the level of success that Radiohead has reached, I did have certain expectations of Tom's lifestyle. I mean, I'm assuming you're in a world where that your phone must have rang, it, maybe it stopped because you, you kept saying no, but maybe everybody was like, you know, Bono wants to pick you up tomorrow and fly you to St. Bart's. Yeah, that never appealed. I don't hang out with people because they are who they are necessarily, right. unless I'm a big admirer of them. Like, I mean, I stalked Ed Norton for ages until eventually he gave in. Why? I, because I'm a big admirer of him. I think he's brilliant. So I, I hang out with him a bit occasionally. Um, and and so, Flea, and, and, I've always I'd really admired Flea anyway, so even before it became an issue of sort of playing with him. Now, tangentially related to that, as you've gotten older and you look around the musical landscape, what you see, does it appeal to you? Meaning, of the music that's popular music, I mean, what's selling now the most successfully, have you moved into a different place with that or do you admire a lot of what's being done is your what, music in the, in the mainstream in the mainstream there's nothing in the mainstream the mainstream is just a void you know to me I mean what's weird about putting a record out now really and this is not like sour grapes at all it's just the fact the volume literally the sheer volume of stuff that gets put out it's like this huge freaking waterfall 
and you just throw in your pebble in and it carries on down the waterfall and that's that right okay next basically you know like in this country the radio is tied up and people don't really listen to the radio in the same way it's it's music's going through a weird time because on the one hand as ever there's always really exciting music being made it's never not being made it's a question of whether you're going to get to hear it or not and I mean, I kind of, I kind of knew the game was up a few years ago when one of our sort of team of people came in saying, Nokia wants to offer you da 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 millions of pounds because they want content for their phones, and this is like in two thousand, I don't know, early two thousands, and you're like, content what? You know, content. What do you mean, music? Yes. Okay. Content. Yeah. Maybe that. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Just stuff. Could be music. Stuff, yeah, yeah stuff. Could have be you got, snoring. Have you got some stuff? You know, and you're like, oh, okay. And I think really that my problem with it is it's like it's now like something to fill up the hardware with, you know. The music itself has become secondary to that, which is a weird thing to me. It's like, And I think that will change because there's only so many different permutations of the same hardware you can make before people go, well, actually, I have an iPod now, so thanks. So I think things will change, and I think the radio will change, um, and sooner the better. Because no matter what way you look at it, the most pleasurable experiences you ever have is like when something's played to you you don't know. Like going around to a friend's house, and they'll stick a tune on you, like, what the hell's this? You know? <laughs> Which is what it's about, you know? That's what, or like going into a store when I was a kid, like, and the new Smith records come out and like and I'm going up to the guy I think that's like he's really cool like the indie store in town and just talking to him about music for 20 minutes you know and you know you share and now everywhere you go music is everywhere it's everywhere but it's not like yeah that's what I'm saying it's content yeah it's content is king (laughs) that bullshit will change and when it does then I think we'll have a resurgence the underbelly will come back um, overbelly and then, again. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's middle aged, it'll be overbelly. <laughs> well, you, you have a ways to go there. I'm going to be taking some slimming pills. Yeah. But no, we, no we, in the way that you talked about this pebble in the waterfall and content and music marketing now, so if that changes, certainly, which it has, does your willingness to release your music into that world change? I mean, like, for example, an obvious example, maybe too obvious, is you don't want to play Creep anymore. <laughs> Now, do you sit there and say, like, if the Sultan of Brunei called you up and said, I want you to come to Brunei and we give you a million pounds, just play Creep. I you play s- Creep and you can go home. I would say to the Sultan of Brunei, <laughs> why do you have that house near me that you never use? <laughs> I could just meet you down the block. I mean, come on, it's an empty house, man. It must yeah. be worth whatever. Yeah. That's what I'd say. A trillion dollars. And I'd say no, obviously. Then you'd say no. Yeah. But I'm a- When you retire a song that way, why do you do that? Well, uh, I don't necess- not necessarily retire it. I mean, I don't recognize it as, as me, which is kind of quite interesting. When I hear Explain it singing, that. just that voice, I don't even recognize that. It's kind of odd. Whatever you want You're so fucking special but then I remember hearing I remember hearing Lou Reed like on some radio station in Dublin years and years ago, and they were asking inevitably about Velvet Underground, 
And he said, yeah, or sometimes it comes on. I'm like, well, this is cool, what's this? And then I realized it's the Velvet Underground. I'm like, wow, yeah. I kind of know what he means. Sort of, you get to the point where you're like, what's that? That guy sounds oh, it's pretty me. good. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't belong here. So you're 43 years old. 44. 44 years old. Mm. It's just our professional courtesy that we shave a year off of all of our guests. Oh, really? Yeah, all of them. Um, you're in the now and you're in the here, what have you. And I don't, I'm not saying that glibly. And you're, <laughs> no, but I'm saying, but you're not somebody who, like Mick Jagger, for example. Like, I wonder if Mick Jagger is going to hit a day. Like, does it happen in a day? Like, is Mick Jagger in bed one day and he picks up the phone and he's like, you know, I just can't do it anymore. I can't get out of this bed. <laughs> I can't do another fucking show again. And it's over. Like, do you think of other things? I think all the time of the next thing I'm going to do. Yeah. I, I, is there um, a next thing? You you don't have to tell us what it is, but do you no, think no, this all will the end? Time, uh, or, no. I mean, I it would end if something happened to my voice. I don't know. Certain things could make it physically stop, and it will stop at some point. Something will happen. But... For me, uh, I yeah, I'm always hearing different things. There's always half finished things, which you ask poor old Nigel. He knows about that. There's always a mountain of half stuff I want to get into, stuff I've started, stuff I want to, you know. But I also think it's good to sort of take breaks because <laughs> I've gone straight from this Radiohead tour last year, which was a really heavy mother, but really good fun. Straight into doing sort of Atoms for Peace stuff, and not really had a break and. So a break is due. A break is due because what I've found with a break is can be an incredibly exciting thing with that thing of like you just all the stuff you want to do, but you just force yourself not you force yourself to wait and get back into just time and space and um, yeah, not being in music all the time. I think because it's like anything, it, you start to go in small circles. So you've got to stop when that happens. I've had to practice that now. I mean, I, I got married again, and my wife is pregnant. I'm going to have a kid. And I really sat and thought about that way that I want to have a more ordinary and more normal handling of my emotions. I think the best way to put it is what people in my business say, which is, would you rather live it in real life or would you rather play it on screen? Mm. And I'm thinking, I want to walk away from it because I'd rather live it in real life now than play it on screen. I think it, with what I do, it's slightly different. Because what I, with I do, it actually, unless you, you're literally you're spending, unless you are just literally working too hard, it's a regener regenerative thing. I find that I'm... Well, I mean, my family, my friends know that I'm a nicer person if I'm working and I'm into what I'm doing than if I stop. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a period where I'm fairly unbearable if I do stop. For too long. Yeah, for too long. There's but a then specific not, time. You should stop. Probably, yeah, there's a threshold. <laughs> but, like, if you want to shift, right, with your work, if you want to shift, if you're writing, if you're um, being creative at all, you kind of have to stop to make that shift because if you just I'm constantly creating I've got this <laughs> mountain of brilliant ideas you're making the basic mistake that you're assuming all your ideas are brilliant where in fact actually the more you do they're probably the more it kind of your thing in reverse because actually I need to go and do normal shit I need to 
I can't write unless I have a period where um, you're restored. Well, no, it's not restored. Just, just um, reset. I'm like just normal, 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 normal. Speaking of normal, do you have siblings? Uh, yeah, a brother. Uh, what do you, you have? A brother. Uh-huh. What does he do? Russian politics and stuff. He teaches. No, he he's, he's the ex- mayor of a small town no, in, near Moscow. Ex- what no, do you mean? All sorts of shit. Um, investigations on um, people. He did. He, he, he studied o- um, Russian Oxford and then went into various. Are things. your parents still alive? Yep. What do your parents? I always love people in your business above all. What do your parents and your brother make of you, going from being Tom York, Tom? To becoming Tom York. Well, my brother was in a band of his own for a while as well, so he has a slightly, like, he can see what it is from another point of view. Uh, what do my parents think? I don't know. They, 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 they like, when I was a kid, they didn't approve. Now that, that I'm happy. They wanted to go into advertising. Yes. Well, you know, it was like, fair enough. I, I was like, pissed off with them at the time, but, I, you know, it's kind of, what that's what you do, isn't it? I mean, well, it's everybody's parents. When I, when I left... A pre-law program, and I was destined to go to law school, and I went into the acting program. My mother was, she literally screamed at me over the phone. My mum was very upset when I when I chose to go to art college, because she'd been to art college, and she said, it's a complete waste of time, don't bother. But, and when um, I became successful in my business, my mother was like, I'm so proud of him. Oh my God, <laughs> this is wonderful. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of bonkers, like, seeing them... Backstage at a really big show, they'll come to a big show, and there's all sorts of shit going off with my mates. They're doing whatever, you know. And there's my mum and dad going, "That was fun. Got any beer <laughs> or whatever." When you do uh, step away from it, what other art are you? Are you interested in art photography? Well, my mate, um, theater, film. My mate Stanley Donwood, who I went to art college with, who does all our artwork. With, I mean, I do it with him, kind of thing. We we always have these lovely plans about we want to go and um, live in Berlin for a month and just paint and get in trouble and things like that. We call ourselves the Sunday Painters and we go on bad painting trips. We did one where... Um, did you say we, bad painting trips? Well, they're trips? bad painting trips because I'm involved. <laughs> um, there was one, one of my favourite ones was we went on the moors um, down in Cornwall. Do you know what I mean by the moors? In Dartmoor, basically, mm-hmm. which is very, very, very bleak, but really beautiful. We were in the stone circle, drove part of the way, walked the rest of the way with these big canvases and paints. But we only we discovered we only had purple and blue and yellow. So we thought, well, okay, we'll use that. And we painted landscapes all afternoon. But they were purple and blue and yellow. Some poor woman, I remember coming like late afternoon, coming and ask us, asking us for directions. We're both sitting there, you know, um, canvases up like this all huddled up with their hooded hoods on you know just doing this and this poor woman comes up asks for asks for directions or somewhere or other and then looks at the paintings and just wanders off like (laughs) good luck (laughs) boys i hope you have another career i hope you're not counting on it was like i don't think the purple's working (laughs) for you (laughs) It was like me being in Italy and this beautiful couple, they were like late, they were older. And the man walked up to me in a camera and he said, scusa, scusa, is a photo. And he's pointing to me and his wife, he's triangulating. And I go, oh, and I put my arm around his wife to take a photo. He goes, no, no, you photo of, of my, my wife, wife and me. And me yeah. You take the photo <laughs> of the mountain in the background. And I was like, oh my oh, God. Bless. They don't, yeah, they don't know who I am. I should yeah. move here. I should move here. Um, 
You mentioned someone gave you that push. Yeah. Is mentorship in your career, do people come to you and do you give them a push? A little bit. I mean... Um, you must have a lot of people in the music world, young people who look up to you. Um, one of the best buzzes, really, is that thing where someone comes up who's new and they're really into... You know, I'm really into what they're doing. It's really fascinating and it's really totally new to me. But yet, the occasions when... They fed off of you. Yeah. And you're like, how could you, how could you feed off me? I don't see any of my stuff my in what DNA, you're doing. What you're yeah, doing. but they see it. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Especially when it's like, <laughs> it, like so it's cool. in hip-hop. I'm like, really? You know, people within hip-hop who, who are into Radiohead, I'm like, I find that so fascinating because, I mean, obviously, I'm massively into hip-hop and we've, we use hip-hop as a reference point in the way we build tracks and stuff. But, but really? Wow, that's bonkers. Honestly, that's one of the really good bits. But it's not really mentorship. It's just people who you admire are good at their shit, you know? And when it happens, it happens. Yeah. yeah. How does success make you feel? How does it make me feel? Radio now, means now, something. Yeah, and your which, name means something. Which, which um, I think is... Well, how does it make me feel... It's always been a little bit far away from me. And the only time it sort of makes sense is when we play in front of people, you know. And the rest of the time it's like, well, it's it's just... It's who I've been for so long, I can't tell you. Because it's just... That's what it is. Uh, and I think I've probably been doing it more than I haven't in my life, mm. in terms of years, in terms of time. So... Most of the time, I don't really notice, and people come up and I, and I go, "Well, that's nice, you know. Thanks very much." You know, it's not like I'm not grateful. I'm just, I just don't notice. And then sometimes people, something will whack you over the head, and you go, "Blimey!" Things like doing the first time we did Saturday Night Live, for example, and you go, "Really? People give a shit?" Because sometimes you can't, you don't know, you don't know. You mm -hmm. got, you don't take you're, it for you're on the inside, you can't see it, and 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 also spent so long running away from it and I don't feel like I've run away from it now because there's nowhere to run <laughs> <laughs> there's nowhere to run. run nowhere to run and also it is like yeah I'm really grateful for it. I'm that's a very good incredibly point. lucky that's a very good point there's nowhere to run and still do it yeah I mean I just think I'm well jammy as we say uh, it's just really jammy, especially in the US, you know, like people really give a shit. And it's like, well, that's amazing. I guess I have one more question. Was, what does well jammy mean? I don't know, really. You don't know? Jammy is like, um, you're, you're so jammy. Like you just, I'm dating myself. It's, um, no, 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 it's come just, on. It's a total fluke, man. It's not really, you're just lucky. I mean, I'm British, right? So I assume jammy. I'm just lucky. There's no skill involved. I'm jammy. This is from Tom York's most recent album, Amok. He'll be touring in support of the album later this year. Find out more on our website, heresthething.org. This 
is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.